Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity and here comes Viander Cross, Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home, naturalism the leader, Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down, naturalism still in front, he ran out near the line but naturalism wins at a half This podcast the is brought to you by finish. Racing New Cavalry South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance by stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. One of the biggest racing stories of 2022 came early in the year when Grant Williams terminated his long-term arrangement with Leviathan owner breeder Bob Peters. The association began quietly a decade ago when Peters sent Grant three horses to train. That number slowly increased over a long period of time to be sitting on 50 by the time the partnership ended. From 2016, Grant trained the big team in tandem with his wife Alana and together they won the Perth Premiership in their very first season. Williams Racing has simply decided on a change of business model. Rather than train exclusively for just one owner, Grant and Alana are keen to broaden their owner base with special provision for the Bellis Syndication Company and On Fire Racing. After a spectacular run of success with the Peters horses, including 15 Group 1s, Grant is expecting a temporary loss of momentum while the new business finds its feet. Grant Williams, who is now 50 years old, spent more than 20 years in the harness racing industry under the tutelage of his father, Ray. He became a talented trainer in his own right and a very successful race driver. He's credited with about 1,200 winners on WA harness tracks. He was probably inspired to some degree by his great mate Fred Kersley, who made such a distinguished transition from harness to thoroughbred racing. Grant Williams joins me on the podcast for a long overdue chat. Thanks for your time, Grant. Thanks for the chat, John. Um, It's always good to talk to you, someone that I've always admired in our industry, so it's a bit of a privilege to have a chat with you today. Thank you, Grant, for your kind words. You know, the termination of your partnership with Bob Peters was big news, but it wasn't entirely unexpected. No, not really, John. Um, It was probably starting to sour a little bit a couple of years ago, but um, it was business, we thought. and yeah, there was obviously. I think it was it was from definitely from both ends. There was signs that we were getting, and um, obviously, we'd had ideas of 
breaking away. So I think the time come, um, it just worked out good for, for both parties, I think. It all started, you told me, when Bob rang one day, I think in 2012, asking you if you had room for three horses. Initially, you thought someone was pulling your leg. Yeah, I've got a good old mate in the trots named Van Stampelier, and I actually thought it was him giving the call this day. <laughs> he offered us um, he offers some horses. Um, I said I only had room for four, it was. Mm. Um, and I remember getting off the phone and Lana saying, you idiot, like, well, only four, <laughs> but um, yeah. that that did grow pretty quick. Um, we got up to 12 not long later. Mm. Um, and the, out of that first crop that we got, um, Western Jewel was one of the first ones and she went on to win the Perth Cup for us. So mm. um, it was a, yeah, it was a start of a very good uh, relationship. At that time, you hadn't really gotten serious about training thoroughbreds commercially. In fact, Weren't you still tinkering with a few harness horses at that time? Yeah, I probably had more harness horses in work at the time, and we we maybe had a half, only half a dozen of the of the gallopers. But we we were buying gallopers for five and ten grand, and we were doing a pretty good job with them. Um, mm. Lance was still riding at the time; it was good. We were we were setting them up and having bets on them. We all know a great friend of mine, Robbie Tomlinson. We had a little filly called Miss Kentucky. We took it to Pinjarra on um, on Robbie's 40th birthday and um, she won eight to one and I think, I, th- I don't know, I think Robbie, he had, he had um, Lance rode a treble, she tipped another two and we had a marquee for his 40th and it was one of the biggest and best days we'd ever had in racing. It was great. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like it. You had some very loyal owners at the time, thoroughbred owners, whose support was unwavering. And Bob was happy to fit in with them, wasn't he, in the early stages? But in the end, is it true, every horse in your stable was owned by Bob Peters? Oh, nearly, John. He, um, obviously, he, he was the new person there. So, obviously, what we were doing, you know, he had to fit in with. And it become a time where he wanted to have more horses. And really, we we were given a, um, you know, an option. We either took more horses or took none really at the time. So um, there was still a few owners that we had like Elio Galanti and Bruce Greenwood and um, a lot of the northern guys like Peter Morris and Sleeton um, that we'd had through the trots and they were the gallops and obviously they, they were concrete in our stable so they were never going anywhere. So um, a lot of the other new clients that we'd picked up along the way um, at the time we, we had to let, let go. Um and, yeah, we kept those guys, but only very few. Bob's role was always clearly defined, wasn't it? He he bred most of his horses by sending mares from his good old families to some of Australia's most in-demand stallions. He spared no expense in raising the progeny, and when they arrived at your place as yearlings, they pretty well ticked every box. If and when they got to the races, though... Bob reserved the right to play a role in their programming. Is that correct? Yeah, he pretty much he pretty much programmed them from from the start. Um, you know, they they went through a few sets of hands. Um, you know, like the the guys at the farm, uh, the guys at Yelbra, um, where they come for, where they were bred, um, the breakers, and early days some pre trainers, but late, late latter days it was more they went to the breakers, and then from the breakers they come to us. Um, 
and they would just go through a system that we sort of stuck to over the years. Mm. Um, and then when they'd get to racing, yeah, we'd speak to Bob on a regular occasion, obviously, uh, on a Sunday mainly, and, and we'd program these horses, um, which a lot of it was straightforward. But, you know, there was a time there where he had lots of horses with other people and we were trying to sort of keep them apart as well. But, you know, it, it was a system that worked pretty well. Yeah. Before we highlight some of the great horses you've trained for Bob Peters, let's talk about the lady whose contribution to your training career can't be measured. When did you first meet Alana Sansom, described by some as the best female jockey of her generation in Western Australia? Well, I shared a property with Lindsay Smith uh, in Casarina, um, and obviously um, Lans used to do a bit of riding for Linz, so uh, we met through Lindsay. Um, and then it was sort of the back end of, of Lanza's career. She was only riding for a couple of years, maybe after that. And, um, she was looking to, to train and she started to pre-train some horses for Linz and cut her riding back. And she started, you know, she had four and then she had eight and she had 12 and they started, she'd give them four weeks and then she'd give them five weeks. And then she was, um, giving them back to him just before trials and it got to the stage there where she'd given back before they raced, and these horses were going great. So it was pretty, it was pretty black and white that we knew of, you know, that Lance had a talent as well. Um, and you know, she wanted to switch to the training ranks just like I did. Um, she actually had her harness license before any other. She got her because obviously I was bigger in the trot she got her um mm. trotters like a trainer's license in the trot so she um she had a few winners doing that and then obviously we got the opportunities that we did so we moved on to mm. the gallops i don't need to tell you about uh, alana's record as a jockey you know it back the front but for the benefit of our listeners she rode about 450 winners including a couple of group twos one of which is now a group one I think the winner yep. bottom. She won four Group Threes. She won nineteen listed races. She won the winter bottom on Fair Alert. She won the Cox Stakes on Old Money, and she had a last ride on WA Derby Day of two thousand and nine. Why did she quit? Um, Too I busy. think mummy time. Mummy time come calling. She was. She was 12 months pregnant when she had her last ride, uh, 12 weeks pregnant when she had her last <laughs> ride. So You've um, answered the question. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty obvious. But but Lanzi, she was thinking about that for a fair way out, you know, probably 18 months out, and it was just um, something where she put a date on it and it all just it all just um, played out. And obviously we have the lovely Tani now to thank for that. But, um, mm. yeah, she was a great jock, really good jockey. What? What a lot of people probably don't realise is when she was riding, there wasn't many other female jocks around. There was only a, a handful. Like mm. she'd be in the jockey's room maybe on her own or sometimes they didn't even have a female's jockey room. Mm. She was up against, um, you know, the, the boys. So um, for her to have that record up against the guys that she rode against then was, um, yeah, it, it puts her in pretty good stead going forward to look back on a great career that she did have. She still rides a lot of track work. You tell me eight to ten horses most mornings and she tries to have a ride on every horse in the place 
on a regular basis because she wants to know about their characteristics. Yeah, she's um, her attention to detail is probably second to none. It's um, it does my head in sometimes, to be honest, John. Um, <laughs> she, yeah, she's she's just um, when Lanzi does something, she puts a hundred and ten percent into it, and that, there's no shortcuts taken. Um, mm. She her, she her out is uh, the property and the horses. She just is out there twenty four seven. You know she. She does turn off, but she'd rather be out in the paddocks or fixing a fence or fixing a sprinkler or something like that. I'd rather go and have a hit of golf, to be yeah. perfectly honest. But she's she's devoted to the horse and she just absolutely loves it. And, um, yeah, her riding, you know, we speak to Willie or anyone like that, and they, they've got the highest regard for mm. her skill in the saddle. So um, it's definitely – it's been something that I definitely wouldn't have got anywhere without her doing what we do. We wouldn't have reached these heights. And, um, yeah, we've just been really lucky that uh, we formed a partnership and then obviously she's my wife and, um, you know, I'm mm. probably the lucky one. You and Alana obviously swap opinions on horses every day of the week and there must be times when you disagree. What happens then? Yeah, we... Um, <laughs> We used to get a bit heated in early days, but we've sort of we've worked that out now. We don't sort of uh, we don't we don't we just sort of maybe have our opinion, and then we might have to come back on that issue three or four times. But we'd have an opinion, and you know, most times, a lot of the times, it's the same. But there's that odd time where we we knock heads over it, which I think that's healthy anyway for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might take a day or so to like nut that one out, but we'll come back and have another couple of cracks at it. Um, but you know, it's, it's proved to be a really good partnership and the way we can bounce stuff off each other through a different set of eyes. I think, um, you know, that's really lucky because in her own right, she's a top class trainer. We're just lucky that we've got two of us. Mm. At the height of the soul destroying lockdowns around Australia, you and Alana were apart for four months. You were in Victoria campaigning with some of Bob Peters' horses. Alana was running the Perth stable. They were tough times. Yeah, it was. It was definitely tough times. You know, we obviously I was away from the, both the girls, Tani and Alana. Um, you know, it, it all sounds well and good, and it's it'd be great. I always, you know, and I still do want to have a stable or a or a you know. Still a connection to Melbourne over there. I love the racing and that there, but it's all that's good if you can fly back and be with your family. But we were away apart four months, and um, yeah, it got got pretty hard. Mm. Um, but it's a testament to our family and how strong we are that we were able to get through that, and we got through that with some really good results in the end. Mm. I'll say you did. If we were to elaborate on all the good horses to carry the Bob Peters colours we'd be here for three weeks. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, Grant, to rate the best of them. Now, I know you've got that beautiful Piero mare on top of the pile. She won eight from 16 and almost $4 million, the wonderful Arcadia Queen. Yep. She's, um, she, was, she, was a, she was a superstar that I don't think we probably got the best out of um, – she had a hiccup sort of, um, you know, when she went to Sydney and then, look, we got we, – she come back and won good races. But as a three-year-old, she was 
she was feeling from airborne and I don't think we'd had anything close to her um, at that stage. But, you know, there's a couple of others. Regal Power, he was the highest stake earner. Mm. Um, Western Empire, um, he could be the best one. He, he was uh, – we haven't seen the best of him either yet, but he could be the best one. And my favourite, one of my favourites of all time would be Delicacy. Mm. Um, she was one that we, we travelled with. Um, we took to Adelaide. She won the Oaks and the Derby. But she was one that we could, I could read her so good. We'd put her in the paddock every morning and you could tell if she was right or not. She just had a routine that she would do. Um, she was a great little filly. And, yeah, she she was uh, really good for our stable. Yeah, she only had 19 runs. She won a dozen of them, including yeah. an Australasian Oaks and a Derby. Pretty good for a filly to be winning a derby anywhere and a Perth Cup, which is a yeah, well, she, she won the Perth Cup with uh, 59 kilos and she done a tendon she, mm. and that sort of finished her career. Um, tried coming back after that, but, yeah, it was it was too hard. So mm. disappointing, but great times at the, t- at the same time. Mm. Just going back to Western Empire, Grant, he won seven from 16, but... He was injury prone, wasn't he? His railway stakes win last year was spectacular. Yeah, I'm not sure the injury prone thing. I'm not sure where that come from. I don't don't know that. Mm. I think he just had a, a couple of little operations just to tidy him up, which was something that Bob would do in the latter stages of our partnership. Um, you know, he, he, his more was his mind. He um. Mm. He was a strong going horse and um, really suited Lanzi's, uh the way she did stuff with him. So, mm. she, you know, she had a really good ability um, to settle that horse. And, um, yeah, it was probably one of the most powerful animals that she's ever um, sat on, she'll tell you herself. So mm. um, he, he'll be back. Obviously, he's too good not to be back. And um, it'll be good to look from afar at his career as it uh, keeps going. You surprised me a little when you nominated Perfect Reflection as one of your all-time favourites. She won seven from 13. She won about $1.4 million in prize money. Her only group one was a Kingston Town Classic. You tell me we never saw the best of her. No, well, she was another one that was um, went to Melbourne and come home and she wasn't the same horse when she came home. Um, and she was probably... Uh, it's at one stage there. We, you know, we couldn't really split Arcadia Queen or her. She was that good as a three-year-old. Um, mm. She came back. Uh, she had a couple of problems. One was a wind problem. She couldn't breathe, and she still was able to win um, with that. That's how good her motor was. Um, mm. And probably cost Willie a Perth Cup too because um, that filly had been so good to him early days that he was so loyal to those horses that he um, – didn't want to get off her in a Perth Cup and he um, obviously the stable mate won that year. So, yeah, she was a super filly. Um, we loved her. Poppy was her name and, um, yeah, another great one that was probably cut, cut a bit short. Mm. Regal Power, you've mentioned already, he's now a seven-year-old. He's won nine from 30 and four and a half million. He's won a railway, he's won a Kingston Town but his biggest win was devoid of Group 1 status and that was the 2020 All-Stars Mile at Caulfield. And just to prove you were fair dinkum, 
You completed the Quinella in the race with Superstorm. What a thrill that must have been! Yeah, they were they were times that, that they really haven't that really hasn't sunken in, John. It's funny how that hasn't because it was. Um, I remember watching the race and um, a mate of mine from Melbourne, Josh Rodder, he came up because there was no crowds. All the everybody got turned around. That was the day, the first day of racing with no crowds in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bob came on a plane on Friday and they announced it as he got off the plane. He got on a plane and went straight back home. There was no use him being there. No. And I remember mm. my folks flew over on the same flight and they just drove down to Bendigo and watched it in a in a pub. Mm. Um and that yeah, it was it was um we still pinch ourselves over that. Um he could have nearly won the Australia Cup the week before. Um Willie cops the rap of people on that because they say he went too early, but at at the end of the day, I think I just had him too fresh and he actually he took Willie to the front that day too early. He was pulling. Mm. So um, it just worked out perfect. We got a good gait and um, Will had to pick two that day and uh, lucky for him that he picked the right one. Um, it was hard, hard for him, but he picked the right one. So, yeah, it was it was unbelievable times. Really, really good. You had a lot of time for inspirational girl, a daughter of reliable man. You won nine races with her including the 2020 Railway Stakes. Yeah, she was a lovely, lovely mare, a, a slow-maturing mare. Um, another one that I'll put down to, she, I call her a Lana horse. She was a, a one-man band and Lanzi knew her better than anybody. She wouldn't let anyone else ride her. Um, she could just basically work her on voice command and mm. she'd go around on a cotton with her, but you'd put someone else on it, it wouldn't be the same. Um mm. So for her to come out and did what you know to do what she she did, um, that was unreal. And the other importance of that horse was that was the Group One that she won. Pretty much was I, I was in Melbourne for the four months, so mm. that preparation was all was all her. So mm. that was that was credited to that was her Group One Lanzi. So you know that that horse will always hold a special spot um, in our family. Perhaps the one destined to be the best of all was truly great, who met an ignominious fate in the spelling paddock. The vets were of the opinion he was the victim of snake bite. He won eight from 14, including the Kingston Town Classic, and there's not much doubt, Grant, you tell me, that he was getting better all the time. Yeah, he was um, He was a horse that uh, we wanted to race earlier than what we did, and Bob kept saying, no, nah, he's not ready, he's not ready. And then I remember coming home from um, Melbourne and uh, seeing this horse and just going, wow, Did I you? couldn't believe mm. the maturity and how much he'd grown and, and the horse that he'd been. And um, probably, I oh, know, Clint, um, Clint CJP, he, he probably pulled the wrong rein that day when he rode him in the railway, but he could arguably – won that race and beat Inspirational Girl. Um, as it turns out, I'm glad it didn't happen that way. But um, mm. e- e- either either, it would have been a, a tick for Lanzi. But um, he came out in the Kingston town and actually blew them away. He was a serious, serious horse that, yeah, obviously we never got to see the best of. Um, but he could do stuff on the track and on the racetrack that only few could. Grant, we'll just pause for a moment on the podcast to clear a commitment. We'll come back with you immediately after this. Things are quietening down a little in spring racing, but there's more to come yet 
on Saturday, November the 26th, when the Australian Turf Club presents an entertaining program at Rosehill Gardens, highlighted by the Group 3 Festival Stakes of 1500 metres, a race inaugurated as the Festival Handicap way back in 1948. The winner of the festival gains automatic entry into the $2 million Ingham Stakes at Randwick on December the 10th. Co-features at Rose Hill will be the listed Starlight Stakes, a quality sprint over 1,100 metres, the listed ATC Cup of 2,000 metres and the $150,000 Country Classic 2,000 metres for New South Wales country trained horses. The regular highway and midway races have also been programmed with the highway to be run over the 1,100 metres course. This meeting will bring down the curtain on a magical spring racing carnival for 2022. My special guest is champion Western Australian trainer Grant Williams. At the risk of embarrassing you, may I just brush over your big race CV? Nine WA Derbies, seven WA Oaks, five WA Champion Philly Stakes, five Railway Stakes, three Kingston Towns, four Perth Cups. While in Melbourne, you've snared an Oakley Plate dead heat with Celebrity Queen, an LKS McKinnon and an All-Stars Mile with Arcadia Queen. You've won the Winterbottom Stakes only once, surprisingly, with Graceful Girl. But you tell me you've got a couple of hard luck stories from the Winterbottom. Yeah, we did. We had we had a couple of horses that we thought we could win the winter bottom with. Um, it was a hard race to win. It was a, obviously um, a t- over twelve hundred weight for age. Uh, you don't get too many, uh, too much time to come up for air. Um, you know, a lot of our horses we we trained over for a longer trip, but then we did have ones that we thought we could win with, and we the you know the rubber the green didn't fall for us um but it did on other occasions so you can't really it's those things you just can't really dwell on but um to win to finally win it last year with graceful girl it was it was really good it was one that we had been chasing for a while we got beaten a nose um the year before with celebrity queen so it was good to tick that one off let's find out where you train your horses grant you're based at a place called carnup down mandura way and like many WA trainers, you like to work them in heavy sand to establish a foundation. You've got the use of a straight 500-metre sand gallop on the property. Yeah, we've got a wonderful uh, property down here, John. Um, you know, we've got uh, these grass paddocks. We've got a water walker and obviously the sand track that um, has a 9-metre rise in it. Um, straight along the backs 500 and the the circumference of the track is 1400 so it's a it's a good size track we can mm-hmm. get some good work around here um it does get them really fit and we're only a kilometer away from lark hill when we want to whiz them down there for the mm-hmm. um for the grass gallops and only 15 minutes 20 minutes max from the beach if you wanted to take them to the beach so we're in a great area Mm. You've got another straight gallop somewhere, haven't you? Not too far away in a rather uh, pretty bushland setting. Yeah, we've um, we've got one just down a couple of k's down the road that we um, that we put in early days when we didn't have the other property next door. Um, 
and we still use that quite regularly. Uh, it's good for the older horses to bring them up, especially carnival time. We we have our system out there and we know when they're right. And um, we haven't used that for a little while now, but we definitely will be getting back to it. Obviously, we don't take the babies up there. It's a bit heavy for them, but mm. we've got a good system up there and it gives us a good guide on where they're at um, for those good races. Once you've got them fit and actually at the races, you tend to back off the sand work a little bit, don't you? Yeah, we tend to just just slightly, John. Um, you know, they, they might have a water walk a day thrown in there um, more or we might just back off the longer work that we do. But um, we're pretty hard on them leading into, leading into their racing preparation. And then once we get those couple of races into them, then it's just a, it's just a maintenance uh, workout during the week. You're very fortunate to have the Lark Hill Training Facility a short distance away, as you mentioned. You can have as many trials or jump outs as you want. Trainers love the place, don't they? Oh, it's a great surface. Um, probably don't use it as much as what we should, but uh, we do all our trials there. It's obviously, like I said, it's only a kilometre away. But the surface, it's it's probably one of the best surfaces in WA. Um, they look after it great down there. All the blokes in that are great down there. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start to use the, that a lot more now when we're because we're, we're, we're just going to deal with a lot more of the younger horses. So, obviously, we'll get them out of that heavy sand and, and get them down there to Lark Hill. So, mm. um, yeah, looking forward to that. Like I say, it's, it's, it's second to none over here for surface. Your association with Willie Pike is one of the best-known trainer-jockey relationships in the country. Willie's back in Perth for the summer carnival after an absence of nine months in the East. You were telling me you rarely gave him instructions for one of your horses. You just left it to him. Yeah, that's right. We never used to tell Will what to do. Um, he was part of a part of our team. He, uh, he bled with us as well, so he was always great at just worrying about his side and, um, you know, he, he'd come out here at least once a week and and his partner Jess would be here at least once a week. So we had the both of them out here and they knew what what uh what they needed to do. They knew how how we get the horses ready and yeah, it was bloody great association that I hope hasn't finished. Well I know it hasn't finished. So um yeah it's just really good when you can put someone like that on and know that once you get to the races then we don't really have to worry about too much more. Mm. He came to Sydney initially uh, to escape WA's stringent vaccination rules. And he gave it a good shot here, Grant. For the record, he had 589 rides in the East in a nine-month period. He rode 73 winners, including a Group 1 in Brisbane on She's a Belter. And yep. he did all of this among some ferocious opposition. Yeah, it's a credit to him really, isn't it? Um you know, he went there, um, oh, I suppose if I said through sufferance, so that's probably not the right way to put it, but obviously it wasn't It wasn't times that any of us really um, welcomed. It was hard for for him and Jess and their family. It was definitely hard for us as well. Um, you know, they, they were driven out of Perth uh, with the COVID rules and lucky enough, Sydney took them in. And to Willie's credit, he... Um, he took his medicine and he packed up and he left. So, you know, there's not too many people that could do that. And then to, um, you know, to ride with with the uh, ability and the vigour and the 
hunger that he has over here and to show people over there. You know, he held his own over there against, you know, some of the world's best. It's just a credit to him. Yes, and he worked hard too, Grant. He got to all sorts of meetings. He was at Tamworth a couple of times, way up in the northwest. He rode regularly at uh, Gulban, uh, you know, on our provincial tracks at Scone and Musselbrook. He was all over the place. He jumped on, you know, horses at long prices. An occasional one would win. Uh, often many of them would run into a place at long odds. He gave them, he rode them all like six to four pops. He tends to do that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Look, I think he probably just put his head down, bum up, thinking because, um, you know, Sydney's Sydney's probably different from what he's used to over here. He's has has his um, properties over here, his smaller ones that, where they live and they've got the big one uh, where he runs his cattle and that. So he always had something to do when it wasn't racing. But I think obviously over in Sydney he didn't. Mm. So he threw himself into the racing and just made himself busy and that's what that's what champions do. We're completely in the dark here as to whether or not he's coming back. He made no official announcement. But you tell me he appears to be very happy to be back in the West and this is an unfair question. Do you think we'll see him back in Sydney? Well, I hope you don't, uh, personally. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I know myself, and, and we're good mates, and the families are close. But I know myself; he still hasn't said, and this is honest. He still hasn't said what he's going to do. Um, he looks happy at home, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to go a go again. So. Um, I think for for Perth Perth Racing's um, sake, I think mm. I hope that he stays here. I think I think we need him over here. Um, but you know, a lot of things have happened to all in the last twelve months, and I think a lot of his um, uh, his outlooks and that might have changed. And uh, to be honest, I think he's leaving things open. He's not gonna he's not gonna be. Um, stuck down for making a decision and he'll make the decision when he thinks it's right and maybe mm. it's not right for him to make the decision or to announce anything at the moment. So I think that's mm. probably what he's going to do. Mm. Watch this space, as they say. Yeah. Now, Grant, as a mark of Willie Pike's humility, I hope you don't mind my uh, divulging a little story you told me on the phone last week. Of yeah. Something he said to you when he flew back into Perth a week or so back. He said, Grant... Do you think I'll get some rides? <laughs> well, I was taught. He didn't actually say that straight to me, but talking to him and his manager Dale, yeah, Willie has the attitude where he doesn't put himself up there that high. Mm. Like everyone knows how good Will Pike is, but he he has, still has that attitude, and I think that's what makes him so good mm. that he thinks he still has to prove himself. Yeah. So he's at track work and doing all the things that you know that that he, he he was doing. He wasn't actually doing as much when he was over here last time, but he's come back with that attitude mm. that he's got to prove himself again. Yeah. So I think it's a credit to the bloke, mm. um, and that's probably why he is what he is. I think trainers are already clamouring for his services, aren't they? Well, you know, the first two days back he jumped on horses that couldn't get out of their own head and they mm. won easy, so yeah. it didn't take people long to realise that Pikey's back in town. <laughs> During his absence, you've used a few good local riders, including Chris Parnham and Pat Carberry. He seems to go on forever, Pat, doesn't he? Yeah, he's an absolute ripper. Ripper jock, Pat, and he's a ripper bloke. He's um, 
he sort of stepped into the void when Willie left um, and things went on like nothing had happened. Um, he came out and rode track work. Uh, we we built it a, um, formed a great, great uh, friendship. And obviously, Lance, we've known Pat for a long time, but uh, he just, he, he was able to help our transition from, you know, like not having Pikey around. Mm-hmm. Um, just make it a little bit easier. And he was actually really good for me mentally to be able to just keep telling me just stick to the plan stick to the plan don't rush these horses mm. he was um he was very clever in, in that thing in, in that way um mm. and we had some good success um it's obviously hard when you when you you haven't got them as your number one and you have to you know sort of always be second so uh will's always been my number one and he'll always get offered the rides first but Mm. Um, the friendship and the relationship with Pat definitely hasn't finished. Can't let you go, Grant, without briefly touching on the trots. Yep. Trotting has always been a very strong sport in Western Australia, way back, generations. I think you were a fourth generation trots man. That's correct, yep. So that means um, your your grandfather? Yep. Dad, of course, he's still training, isn't he, Ray? Yep. And um, and my grand, my dad's grandfather. Mm. So he was right into the trots. You know, he was. They had heaps of horses. And also on my mum's side, um, Fred Doy. He was, he was a good trainer. He won a Fremantle Cup. So, mm. yeah, we've got a lot of family history in the trots. Um, so it was, it was a no-brainer for me to start off. Um, you know, I was probably what was wasn't as young as a lot of people. I didn't get my. I got my license when I was eighteen, but I was just mm. sort of. 50-50, bit of hit and miss, and it wasn't until early 20s that I got really keen into it and um, gave the apprenticeship away and started doing the horses full-time, which um, mm. I'm glad I did. Mm. Your dad, Ray, still trains a team and he's had a lot of success in recent times, I've noticed, with a very nice fast-class horse called Magnificent Storm. Yeah, he's a he's – a, He's a good bloke, my dad, and he's a really good trainer as well. He um, he's always had a nice horse in the backyard. Um, even when we were growing up, he had a nice horse. But through opportunities, um, with with me going to um, to the gallops and um, with Robbie and the boys uh, with the horses they buy from New Zealand, uh, he's got some really nice horses in his backyard there and. Hopefully he hasn't won a pacing cap yet, but geez, that'd be a good story if we could tick that box in January. Yeah. Ray likes to dabble in the part ownership of some of your gallopers. And you tell me <laughs> right at the moment he's got shares in about 12 horses. You also yeah, well, tell me mum's been putting the foot down. Well, I didn't realise. And we, we put another one up to, for sale the other day and, uh, uh, mum mum's comes down every Tuesday. She comes down for dinner, stays mm. the night. She has done – Tony's 13 in December. She's done that from day dot. So mm. um, and with that, they live an hour away. Um, and it was uh, a couple of Tuesdays ago and she said, oh, love, oh, we're not going in that new one. I, your dad wants to, but I've told him we're already in 12. We're not going in anymore. <laughs> and I went, oh, shit, you're in that many. <laughs> a dozen, eh? Oh, a dozen, yeah. So – that's just that's just the strength of our family, the support that they've given us. Mm. Uh, both my sister Jody and myself, like growing up, we had a great upbringing, yeah. and uh, it still it still goes on today. You know, like you can see the support mm. that mum and dad still give us both. Now, with the benefit of local knowledge, 
Do you think Mum will win the argument? Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) Long old John. 100%, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're credited with the training of some 1,200 winners on WA harness tracks, and I believe you drove more than 700 of those winners yourself. Mm. Yeah, it was a pretty good career. It was, um, yeah, I, I didn't really want to do anything else for a long time there. It wasn't sort of until... We started to dabble in the thoroughbreds and, um, you know, we had a little bit of success. And I think what got me out of the trots was that Alio Galanti sort of, he said to us that, uh, you know, why don't you try doing a bit more of the thoroughbreds and if you want to do that, I'll, I'll give you my horses. And that was sort of the start of it. But other than that, the career at the time was going great. You've always rated Precious Dylan as the best harness horse you got to train and drive and... I can see why you won 26 races with the former Kiwi. And is it true, Grant, that he won something like 12 straight at one stage? Yeah, he was He was pretty exciting. He was very fast. Um, you know, he never got to win a Group 1, unfortunately, but um, he was probably the best. Uh, Ability-wise, he was the best one that um, probably I sat behind as well. Um we had uh, another really nice horse called Chardons of Flying, and he won a couple of Group Ones. But mm-hmm. on their day, I think uh, if I had the pick, I would have driven Dylan. Yeah, every time. Yep. When did you last sit in a harness sulky? Uh, I was on a horse called Cromac Johnny. It was in the Pinjarra Cup. Um, the year is uh, what would it be? Maybe two thousand and fourteen. I think it was. Mm. Um, and I've never been behind a horse ever since. So mm. might have been behind one of Tony's ponies. That would be the only thing coming in first up as Santa Claus. But, yeah, um, yeah that, that that was it. I ran second, got beaten in the head. Um, it was, wasn't meant to be, but the Pinjarra Cup was a great race for us. I think we trained or drove five of them, so mm. it was a good race for me to go out on. And um, unfortunately, yeah, we just got beat. Mm. You said earlier that Alana once held a harness trainer's licence. She obviously drove them work, but she never drove in a harness race, did she? No, no, she just used to drive them work. And um, mm. there's a funny story about this. Um, Midnight Rocket was the horse that we had, and I think he, he won seven or eight races under my under my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to think he was a bit of a suck. And Lance started riding this horse, and even when I rode him, he would try. He would try things like he. We just didn't get on, mm. and she'd ride him on a, on the buckle and just be saying, you know, on voice command, he'd do whatever she wanted. Good. Anyway, um, at the time I was driving a lot for Andrew De Campo, and uh, Lance had her first first starter was at Pinjarra, and uh, Nathan Turvey was working with us at the time, so he drove Alana's first starter. And I drove um, a horse for Andrew DeCampo that was actually going into the nugget that year. And I led up and everything was beautiful and uh, kicked for home and thought, oh, we were home. And next minute, this black horse come flying down the outside yeah. and she knocked me off Yeah, with, with Topsy on board. So that was a good story. <laughs> well, <laughs> in some respects it is, yeah. Now, you mentioned yeah. Tani, Grant. Give me yeah. a quick profile. How old? She turns 13 on uh, 9th of December, um, 13 going on 17 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, but she's a good, good kid. She's a good little girl. Yeah. She loves the horses, definitely 
uh, lives and breeds breed, uh, breed the horses. She's got a couple of ponies. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's starting to pester us a little bit about riding the big ones, but obviously she's just still probably a year or two off doing that. I'd um, like to see her start to do a bit more work around the stables for her to do that. Hopefully when she listens to this, she'll get that hint. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, she's a great, great kid, loves her sport, loves her horses. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really good. Looking forward to seeing where she goes in the next few years with all that. Well, if the genetic forces have anything at all to do with it, she'll certainly be doing something with horses. Yeah, definitely. I think she's got no, she's got no problem with that. Now, Grant, you're expecting to lose momentum for a little while as you regenerate the business, but you're very full on nevertheless. You've got 53 in the stable and a stack of young ones, you tell me. Yeah, we got uh, we bought or got given, I think it's up to about 37 two-year-olds or yearlings, so they're two now. Um, and we do all that work pretty much ourselves. They get broken in and then they come through to us. Um, so it's busy times at the moment. Um, we've got a lot of nice three-year-olds that are only a prep away from hitting their straps, um, but a very young team, which is great for the future. Mm. I think uh, March, April, I think our names will get put back up in lights there. We'll be starting to kick along pretty good. Well, you better tell me the names of those three-year-olds you've mentioned because there'll be ears pricked all over the place listening to this <laughs> podcast. Well, I don't like putting a mocker on these ones, but I, I have got a few that will aim towards the Derby and the Oaks this year, John, so I think we mm-hmm. could take a pretty strong hand into that series and hopefully that's the series that, that gets Lance and uh, me back going again. You ducked that one, didn't you? Yeah, I always <laughs> do that one, come at my chin. <laughs> anyway, what we're going to do is look for the Grant Williams trained horses in races like the Derby and the Oaks. That's it. Where do you see yourself... 10 years from now. You don't want to train huge numbers of horses as some of your eastern counterparts are doing. Grant, you'd be aware there are a couple of stables over here with four to 500 horses on their books and it's all a direct result of the mind-boggling prize money in the east. Yeah, look, that's probably not something that we'd love to do. I think our secret is that we're still hands-on, John. Um, Lance is still able to ride those horses and and uh, and set out paths and and sort of let you know their ability. Um, I think when we lose that, we'll probably um, yeah we'll probably sort of wind right back. But you know, I, I think in ten years' time, hopefully we've got our properties paid off and Tani she might be thinking about a training career or a riding career. We'll probably just we'll just probably uh, we'll go along that next ten years and we'll be determining what we do as to what Tani's doing, if she's in the industry or she's not. But uh, I think our numbers will slowly come back. Uh, like, I think perfect would be 30 to 35, and I think mm. hopefully we can do that in the next couple of years. Uh, we just need to, um, you know, get these young babies and get them all through and start to put some systems in place there where, where we can just train 30 or 35. I think it would be easier on, on everybody. Well, you're not yet 50 years of age. You're I just already. turned 50, actually. When? I turned 50. In July, I turned 50. Oh, I beg your pardon, you've turned yep. 50. Yeah. Congratulations, mate. That's an important <laughs> milestone, uh, as yeah, I, I recall. As I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're already yeah. firmly ensconced among Australia's top trainers and with the talented Alana by your side, you've got some great years ahead. 
Great to have you on the podcast, and will you do me a favour, Grant? Will you give my best regards to another legendary horseman who made a seamless transition from the trots to the gallops, and he is one hell of a good bloke, the remarkable Fred Kersley. Yeah, he's a legend of our sport, Fred. There's a lot of us guys that look up to him, and um, he was a bit of a trailblazer over here. Um, and obviously, you know, he's he's probably you know, someone that's always going to be on the top of the tree. So we'll definitely, hopefully, bump into him in the next couple of weeks at the races, and uh, I'll let him know you said g'day. Thanks, Grant. Grant Williams, our special guest on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Things are quietening down a little in spring racing, but there's more to come yet on Saturday, November the 26th, when the Australian Turf Club presents an entertaining program at Rosehill Gardens, highlighted by the Group 3 Festival Stakes of 1500 metres a race inaugurated as the Festival Handicap way back in 1948. The winner of the festival gains automatic entry into the $2 million Ingham Stakes at Randwick on December the 10th. Co-features at Rose Hill will be the listed Starlight Stakes, a quality sprint over 1,100 metres, the listed ATC Cup of 2,000 metres and the $150,000 Country Classic 2,000 metres for New South Wales country trained horses. The regular highway and midway races have also been programmed with the highway to be run over the 1,100 metres course. This meeting will bring down the curtain on a magical spring racing carnival for 2022.